0: Hello, creeps. Welcome to the Horror Vanguard. I'll be your ghost. I mean, host, for today's exciting tale of terror Baskin or at the Baskin Robbins on the highway to hell. <laughs> Hello everyone, welcome to your second episode for September. I am Ash, joined as always by By, by me? By you! By John, <laughs> the
1: Lit Crit Guy. How's it going? <laughs> uh I am I'm very good. I am very, very good. I'm very excited to be talking about this film. Um Yeah, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to some uh to some to all the flavours of discourse. We
0: we have 31 individual takes uh, for today's episode. <laughs> it's a hot, hot day in September. You know, like the final days of summer are just bearing down on us. And John and I have decided to spend the entire day talking about Baskin Robbins, 31 flavors of ice cream. Uh,
1: which is a very, it's very American. It's a very American thing, but um, <laughs> we've decided to do it. Don't question it. It is going to have... Uh, Almost nothing to do with the film that we're supposedly talking about today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's just a quirk a quirk of translation has caused us to make ice cream jokes during our discussion
1: of today's movie. We are talking about we are talking about the uh 2015, have I got that right? Yep,
0: 2015, 2015 Turkish movie.
1: Twenty fifteen Turkish horror film Baskin. Um which again has very little to do with ice cream, I hasten to add. Uh, and quite a lot to do with doing deeply unpleasant things to people's eyes. <laughs> um, before we dive into the frosty, cold discourse uh, with sprinkles on top, what is Baskin about? How would you, how would you, accurately and entirely spoiler-free summarize the plot?
0: And so we arrive in Media Res. The only way we could ever arrive into things, as we have always arrived into things. Coughing up our own internal spiders, unsure of which eyes to gouge and which eyes to use to see the world, we are here. Like a marker on a map in the mall, a phantasmal sign hangs above us all that reads, You are here. Not merely a trite observation of fact, but an eternal truth that can never be muted. You are here, and here is where you shall always be. The inescapable presence is connected at all points to all others. Holes in our logic create temporal fallacies that suggest bi-directional causality when it is only our failing to accept multiplicities that flickers before our vision. For we are not a sea of individual eyes, we are the chorus we. We have been granted interchangeable eyes that we might see that we are not singular but eternally plural. As Baba, this movie stand in for Hellraiser's Pinhead, suggests, Hell is not a place you travel to, but a place you always carry inside you. We are enmeshed in this micro present, infinitely connected at all points, and woefully unaware of those things which support and structure our every movement. As we move into the discourse, ask yourself: Are you ready to stop worshipping power and unite with us? Are you ready to become one with the cosmos? Are you ready to give up your worldly eyes and open the eyes of your heart to what is beyond? Don't disappoint me as we discuss 2015's Baskin.
1: Oh God, it's so good. It's so good. I love it. Um I th- I think we should start by kind of uh acknowledging that we ha- haven't done a huge amount of non Anglophone horror and when we do that's it's italian
0: <laughs> and 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 when we do it happens it's, it's italian. italian uh yeah we definitely uh we're going to make a big effort to get in more more asian horror more more non non-western horror
1: yeah i because i think that's important and i think this is a great uh kind of starting point for that so yep this this is a turkish language film um And we are always, we want to have a kind of global approach to the horror movies that we love because capitalism that we exist under is a global system too. Um, And so texts from anywhere across uh, the vast uh, nightmare world that is capitalist modernity are are capable of giving us uh, huge amounts of insight into our shared cultural condition. And now, an important message from Horror Vanguard. Ash is gonna put the patreon plug here, so why don't where should we start let's kind of start at the beginning what do you what do you think what do you think this film is uh about where do you think this film is kind of drawing from well i think i think our our baskin Robbins jokes are
0: <laughs> somewhat applicable i i, th- I okay think wow there are some, i was, I was I, not I, I expecting weave, that <laughs> i can I can weave them in to the discourse right because our opening scene. Um, is set in, in, a, in a cafe, right? And our, our uh, protagonists are all uh, Turkish police officers. They're all sitting down to eat in this cafe. And what kind of precipitates events is, is a conflict between uh, one of the cafe's employees and one of the police officers, right? And, and what we see here is that like a lot of really kind of like timely and important discourses all unfold in about like a two minute span, but, um, yeah. uh, an altercation breaks out between the employee and the police officer and like the, the police do not do any de-escalation, right? They don't care what kind of conflict happens because they're the cops and their job is to ramp up conflict. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but, you know, we see, uh, like, like servers everywhere, restaurant employees everywhere know they're masters at de-escalating conflict at the slightest scent of provocation. Um, yeah, Absolutely. And, and even even if this particular restaurant employee, the, this this employee of the uh, cursed Baskin Robbins in Hell, is kind of bad at it, we get this really important line uh, where where you know he says like, "Oh, if you guys weren't cops," you know, implying that if if their class relation was different, he would actually be able to pursue <laughs> so some kind of violence with them, right? And it, it's this movie kind of opens up with this reminder of. The, the, the function of police. The function of police is only ever and has always been protection of property. That is, yes. that is what they do, right? Uh, uh, back, back when African Americans' lives were considered property, cops were slave catchers. Yeah, you know, 100%. Like, and and they've, they've grown into this modern moment as, as the protectors of the property of the ruling class. And we see that right off the bat in this film. And I think that's just a really subtle and engaging way to start a movie.
1: I actually think it's it's well worth pointing out that um so the cops are at this like diner uh which I think is supposed to be like a family business Yeah, um, like a Baskin Al- Robbins. Uh, th- yeah, Baskin Robbins. They're at this Baskin Robbins <laughs> on the on the road to hell. Um the uh dad is like the 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 guy on the grill, working the grill outside, making their food. Uh, and it's the father's son who gets into it with the cops. Particularly with one cop who comes off as a colossal asshole. Um, but the point I kind of wanted to make is like, cops are not workers either. Because you can see that there is no, there is no shared uh, economic condition between the two people. Like the cop is there just to, just to defend property and to get off on the uses of power. Whereas this this uh like basically this kid that ends up kind of getting slapped around by these cops is you know just trying to get through the closing shift and get these assholes out of the door. Even even restaurants in hell are total nightmares.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're working the late shift and then it's like, oh god, it's these guys. <laughs> I, d- I, ju- I just want to get back to my demon torment and these motherfuckers show up. <laughs>
1: Um, and yeah so we have a group of cops we have uh, we have the one guy who is telling a lot of um, like what would get dismissed as locker talk by a certain kind of man Uh, a lot of like sexist and misogynist stuff there is the captain or like the the more senior officer who seems to be slightly detached from the whole thing Uh, and there is the newbie who kind of just seems like he's happy to be there, um, and and they leave. They go for a drive. They sing along to the radio, it, which is maybe one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> uh, and then they answer they answer a call to go to a certain neighborhood. Um, and this is where I think the tr- the title comes in. Um, I looked this up, and apparently, I'm not sure the translation is like perfect, but Baskin. Uh, Translates as like a a strike or a raid. Yes, Um, yes, I was
0: I I was gonna jump in and say Baskin actually pretty much directly translates to the raid, but they didn't go with that title because there were actually a bunch of movies that came out within that same time span in Turkey called the Raid, and they didn't want (laughs) to have to deal with
1: competing marketing, so they just left it as Baskin, which ultimately I think is a much better choice. Um, and it is kind of reminiscent of the film as a whole, which is this. It turns into a very—it's a short, sharp, pretty nasty shock, um, and um, yeah, it's interesting. What do what do you what do you think? What, let's get into the discourse. Let's get into the oozing, writhing, eye gouging discourse. Yeah,
0: I think. Um, well, let's let's right off the bat, let's talk about like the genre of of Baskin because I think Baskin finds itself. Interestingly, uh, uh straddling a bunch of different genres that aren't necessarily competing, which I find to be really
1: refreshing. Yeah, totally. I would I would completely agree. Um, which genres do you do you think are the kind of most immediate ones?
0: Um, well, if I if I had to like pick one concise genre that this, that if I could only shelve it on one shelf, uh, this this would undoubtedly go in the body horror section. I, th- I think this one is leaning pretty heavily into its body horror elements but we've also got psychological horror i know you uh, really want to talk about the giallo influence that's in this film um and then we've got like splatter like i think i think this movie is is an unsung entry into the canon of splatter
1: uh yeah i absolutely do think that there are like strong giallo tones here um like what I think is actually really impressive about the film is it's the first feature from the director. I doubt the budget was particularly substantial. It's based on um, a short that he did a couple of years earlier that did pretty well. Um, but I I really do think that the use of color is strongly reminiscent of like classic Giallo film. And it's actually really impressive. Like There are certain shots in this film which just look amazing. Yeah, it is really nicely done. It's really clean. Uh but that the giallo like heavily saturated color palette does disappear as we get into uh what is definitely more uh splattery, gory, tortury uh stuff in the in the s- final third of the film. Yeah, yeah, there's there's that little flare of it right
0: near the end, but yeah, the, the as we as we progress into this world, um things become much more deteriorated, much more heavily leaning into body horror.
1: What do you what do you think then about that kind of shift in genre?
0: I almost I almost think that like there's not really a shift in in the genre in a proper sense. It's not like it starts as like a, a a because giallo movies tend tend to follow this, right? Like your your giallo films will like open up with some like a little little bit of medical intrigue a little bit of crime noir mystery and then like you've got psychosexual madness satanic cults uh torment you know it's like you, but you slowly walk down that path this movie is is atemporal it's constantly uh alternating you between Mm. uh you know calm restaurant scenes psychedelic imagery psychosexual torment um, so it's really, it's less of these genres competing and interchanging and more of an attempt to weave together giallo and like Gorno, two, two genres which I think share a lot of familial relation, but don't ever get to play
1: together very often. I think you probably know more about this than me. So what do you think that relationship is? Um, I think I think the relationship kind of comes out of
0: like the material realities of the creation of both genres, right? You know, Giallo is Italian for yellow, um, as we've talked about <laughs> a couple times before on the show. It gets its name from the uh, yellow-colored crime noir uh, pulp paperbacks that were really popular in, uh, like, 50s and 60s Italy. Uh, the Giallo film genre kind of emerges as as Italy's, you know, flagship style of film, right? In a time when Italy isn't really known for its cinema, <laughs> Um and then Gorno, Splatter, like these, these genres emerge in a similar similar context here in the United States, right? You know, we have like um you know, like the the first couple Splatter movies, like super low budget, just kind of emerging from these artists who are looking for new ways to express their craft. And there's there's a lot of structural similarities going on between the two there.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's um probably really fair. I would be interested to know what you think about how that genre kind of uh, melange that this film is working with, like a little bit of uh, Italian giallo, a little bit of like uh, um, Gorno, a little bit of torture porn, a little bit of body horror, how you think that intersects with this film's seemingly pretty clear uh, political position as well?
0: Yeah, I think this movie has a lot of really interesting like class dynamics within it and i think um like i i when i was watching this i went right to mark Stevens splatter capital mm-hmm. you know right when he's when he's talking about splatter and gorno and torture porn one of the things he's always talking about is who is allowed to do violence yeah in these, in these particular settings and like in, in in this movie the the first bit of violence we're we're treated to is is the the police antagonizing the workers of these restaurants not de-escalating them so we see a bit of real world uh, uh how things would go down in reality um but then immediately that rug gets pulled out from under us and, and this kind of inversion happens right we have uh the, the police are looking for the location that they've been called to and there's like this group of kind of like and, and we'll get a little bit into how this movie depicts uh you know like people living through housing insecurity the poor people with disabilities we'll, we'll get to that later towards the end of the episode um but we get we get this group of people who are like they're just wearing rags they're they're like cooking on a little like pot outside they're clearly you know like like suffering from some kind of severe housing insecurity and and they're the ones who like show show the police where the
1: cursed gateway to hell building is. <laughs> yeah. so so there are a couple of like really important moments that i want to pick up on when we're talking about like who is who gets to be violent who who is uh permitted by the structures and rules of a given society to exercise violence as the cops are leaving the kid who's working the the the, the graveyard shift in the baskin robins on the road to hell goes ah if you guys weren't cops yeah, uh, we we would get into it, but because you are, I'm not. I'm not allowed to do anything to you, because I'm not allowed to 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 use any kind of force or agency against you. But you are legally, politically, socially permitted to be violent, because that's that's what cops are, and that's what they do. Um, but that's the high point of the police authority in this film, and it's yeah. right at the begin. And it's right at the beginning, and then everything else. Is about stripping away their agency and their authority and their right to to act or act violently in the world.
0: Yeah, we had, um, uh, li- later on in the movie, uh, the kind of like Cenobites of the Baskin universe have, have, uh, trapped the cops in like a dungeon in hell. And, and the one, um, uh, Yavuz, yeah, the one, the one, uh, younger officer is like shouting about how he's the law and they have the authority and they have the power. And then uh, there's this, there's this character called Baba or the father Um, phenomenal acting job by the actor. I'm I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name. (laughs) I would would butcher it so terribly. Um, But, but the acting job is just so unsettling, so solid. Um, But, but he, but he kind of like, he looks like, like Baba looks to his, like um, he's got like, like another Cenobite like character with him. He looks over to him. And the other guy kind of like he makes this like almost shrugging gesture, and then Baba <laughs> Baba looks back at like Yavuz and he's like, "Do you do you think you have
1: power? Here? <laughs> it's like we've we've changed you up. You've wandered into our our weird sex ritual. Uh, you think you're in control? That's weird. <laughs> you literally you're literally
0: confronted with Cenobites, You know, like your your frameworks and your paradigms have stopped
1: applying." <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a really it's a really kind of funny beat because yavuz is like is like so intensely angry uh and father's just like seriously <laughs> what do you think this is going to get you
0: right it's like it's the it's the only and i don't know if this was intentionally funny or not on the part of the filmmakers but it's the only beat in the show that got like a really good laugh out of me and it was just like <laughs> It was just like, like again, like the guy, the guy who plays Baba, just like he, he just so perfectly kills it. Just kills just it. Looks over at his associate, looks back, and it's just like, like I just died. It was <laughs> so good.
1: Um, it was like giving Pinhead
0: a one-liner. It was fantastic.
1: And like, as I say, the the whole point of this film is that these these cops who are just generally are just assholes, um have their have that have that right to use violence in the world just stripped away from them they are called to uh, a a region uh which is is kind of got a re- bit of a reputation as being a, a kind of weird place the people there are a little bit strange and um one of them in the drive over makes reference specifically to like shrines that have been found there um and they find this building which was uh which was a former police station um and is now clearly a doorway into, into it's, it's it's a hellmouth situation but <laughs> but one that is a little more a little more hardcore than anything that was ever shown on uh Buffy the Vampire Slayer just, just slightly
0: <laughs> but yeah i think like so i was er, this morning i listened to the latest episode of uh working pod um mm. And it had uh, the one, the one featuring Kim Kelly about the police and union organizing, and like, like the one thing that that, that phenomenal episode. Everybody should just really just pause, pause this episode and go listen to that and just go listen to everything that max alvarez ever puts out <laughs> seriously when i saw that max alvarez and kim kelly did an episode together i was like well it's gonna it's gonna put that up <laughs> it's gonna be the well, best thing i listen to
1: all week that's the next hour or so <laughs> um yeah
0: but phenomenal phenomenal episode um but they really go into the history and the politics of like police presenting themselves as being part of the working class presenting themselves as being part of organized labor when historically they've been the most powerful force against the working class and against organized labor, and I think that like that beginning bit of this movie really just kind of like very subtly spells that out as the background tension of this film.
1: Yes, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Like, what is the role of the police? Uh, it's it's a violent uh, oppression of working people, and it is. Uh, the defense of capital and the institutions of capitalism um and that's connected to some kind of bigger things that we should probably talk about as well as on a subjective level like on a on a psychological level this film is not just an exploration of um the slow denigration and violence of the police as an institution but this film is also a freudian nightmare zone <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um when we were when we were talking about what we wanted to when we were having the
0: meta discussion about what we wanted to talk about i was like this is the most silent hill movie that's ever been made and yes i'm counting the
1: silent hill movies in that <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah yeah um weird weird psycho sexual um uh, horror just kind of bubbling away under the surface. Uh it's like one of the first pieces of conversation and dialogue in the film is a, a prolonged discussion of bestiality. Um so there are there there are these all these kind of like um basically basically what I'm trying to say is heterosexuality in this film is presented as sort of a curse. <laughs> <laughs> specifically male heterosexuality, and it's this, because it's tied into the violence of policing. Like, they're all telling sex stories when it first starts. Uh, Yavuz is, is got this, like, this horribly transphobic story about uh, meeting a trans sex worker. Um, and, like, there is this kind of sexual violence that's implicit in their function as police as well uh, and this is I mean the whole film opens with a flashback to our to the youngest officer um, overhearing his parents have sex like that's that's that like this the, even even I think this film would like Freud would just be like well yes there you go <laughs> Right. <laughs> this whole this whole movie is Freud being like, "I told you." <laughs> um. As as I put in our our doc that we use to kind of kick some ideas around, sex and death are the uh, building blocks of heteronormativity in this film, uh, and that's intimately tied up in policing.
0: Yes. Yeah. And I I completely agree. And we see that once they once they enter hell and the power dynamics start to change right like this this like one of you know like the, the silent hill comparison is so strong here right like yeah. <laughs> part part of the psychosexual nightmare of silent hill are all of these like mangled disfigured corpses engaged in a lot of erotic activity um and this movie this movie echoes that there are there are what we can only assume to be disfigured human bodies in garbage bags trying to have sex um and there are there are like mutilated people who've been blinded having like a giant floor orgy that's a key part of this right and like one of the most extended kind of like nightmare sequences that we wind up getting is like y- yavuz is blinded and then forced to have sex with like a kind of like a, a female demon with a bloody goat head kind of creature <laughs> uh yep and then um, like yeah it's it's, it's, it, it, it's that violent power violent psychosexual power dynamic inverting
1: itself once we enter the nightmare world. It made me it, that that scene in particular was. It made me. It was very reminiscent of a particular scene in Midsummer, um, but done in a way that was actually m- even more unsettling and and kind mm-hmm. of uh, because uh, Yavuz is the is the character who's kind of like most aggressively, uh, braggadociously sexual in his stories. He's very violent he's the one who's screaming about his authority he's the one who's got the power of the law on his side uh and then he is systematically blinded uh tortured and uh forced into this uh, uh yeah forced to 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 have sex with the uh demon i'm gonna go oh, with demon go <laughs> demon yeah i think so uh who gives birth to a stone child uh in a moment which is um there's a lot about this which feels very much like a dream a certain kind of nightmare precisely because of the of the circular time frame so we go from like flashbacks to flash forwards and we kind of loop around the idea of the of the diner and it's clearly once you set out there's this horrible deterministic logic for all of them um. Yeah. What, yeah. You're completely right. Uh. What else should we talk about? Uh, <laughs> should we t- well, I was about to say, should we talk about the fact that all corporeal manifestations of policing are bound to go to hell. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh yeah yeah i think th- i think we should um and i think uh one one of the questions that i kind of posed when we were talking about this is why are our main characters cops why aren't they plumbers why aren't they firefighters why aren't they any anything right i think like you know the the best example of this i can think of off the top of my head is a completely unrelated and different movie called ghostbusters which you may have seen like in in the ghostbusters universe they, they could have easily been ghost cops you know, we we are like like the movie um, R.I.P.D. Um, you know, like which is Ghostbusters, but the Ghostbusters are police and ghosts.
1: Uh, I, I I genuinely can't believe that you've made a very compelling comparison between Baskin and R.I.P.D. and Ghostbusters. <laughs> no, but like like this is this is a really
0: interesting question, right? Because in in the Ghostbusters universe, they're not law enforcement, right? They're exterminators. Like, like that, that, is, that is their job. That is what they're modeled after. They're, they're closer to plumbers than they are to police. You know, they're, they're the people you call when you've got a ghost problem, and that's it. But in, the, in this movie, like, our, our protagonists are cops. And I want to kind of pick your brain. Why do you think that they have this particular societal function as characters in this
1: movie? Well, there's something that uh, the father says, which I think is really interesting and kind of reframes how we should think about this film which cuz we the way that we've been talking about it is like they've wandered into hell somehow uh but it's something that the father says is that no, hell is within you like hell is something that you carry with you everywhere and this i think is part of the reason why it, it had to be cops because policing is a violent nightmare that people willingly give themselves over to for the potential of being able to wield wield power over their fellow human beings that is a hellish state of affairs like these cops didn't like go to hell they were that that's what they already were that's what they were bringing to those mm-hmm. around them already yeah so if they were plumbers this would not feel this would not feel fitting or <laughs> determined right this would because why because plumbers are useful and generally good people uh, it wouldn't really work if they were firefighters. Firefighters are uh, are generally incredibly brave, and vital pillars of service to a community. Like exactly. Like if you yeah. if you need a, if you need a firefighter, if you need a plumber, if you need an electrician, something has gone wrong and you need someone to help. If you see cops turn up, you're like, oh shit, I am fucked. <laughs> because yeah. I I actually I don't know maybe I'm making a kind of Unnecessarily like theological argument here, but I actually think that that's part of it within the logic of the film, right? They were not, they didn't, they weren't dragged into hell. Hell was what they were bringing to everybody around them all the time, anyway. This is just the kind of consequences coming home to roost in some ways.
0: It's, it's the, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm moved to recall a piece of graffiti that's been making the rounds on social media that's become very popular and it says something to the effect of like uh uh, there's no amount of looting that can replace what's been taken from us yeah you know and looting looting isn't a crime looting is is the kind of natural it's the rubber band snapping back you know it's Mm -hmm. it's working class people taking back the things that they already own they just can't have and and then this this movie is is that but with violence and the carceral state uh, what is it? The the um, you've looted more than we could ever steal. There we go. That's that's that's, the, that's the, I would be terrible at writing concise graffiti. See 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 footnote one e for an explanation.
1: <laughs> yeah, your,
0: your graffiti would have citations. <laughs> yeah. all all, of, all all of my tags are in proper MLA format. <laughs>
1: Um but yeah, that's that's part of why I think they had to be cops. Right? They had to be they had to actually quite a few of them when they are killed in pretty pretty horrible ways, there is a kind of acceptance to it, right? Uh a lot of them there is no kind of great struggle or great fight. They they just get killed. They just get they just get murdered. They get wiped out. Um and it's in a way it's sort of like they were already in hell. They were in hell from the very moment that the film opened, right? Yeah, why? Yeah. Because hell is not a location. Hell is an existential state that you can choose and willingly put yourself into. Yeah, and I mean, we even we even get that line, you know, like when Baba
0: starts killing our our protagonists. You know, he 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 says to them like, "Hey, don't don't worry about this. You know, like you're gonna you're gonna die here, and then you're just gonna wake up again. You know, it's like yep. it's not it's not a meaningful exchange of activities because you are in hell." Yeah. But I think I think uh, another another part or something else that is really interesting that this opens up to is a, a conversation about like imperialism and imperial violence, um, because mm. it's not just any building that they've that they've been called to. It's not just any building that is kind of like the physical nexus for the hell they carry with them it's an abandoned cop shop
1: yep absolutely uh one of them says that it used to be used to be a a police precinct back in the days of the empire back in the days of the ottoman empire and there is i mean it's making its themes very explicit right what's the connection between uh what's the connection between policing and, and the empire again and and the fact that would you not expect uh, an imperialist remnant to be haunted to be somewhere that was cursed to be somewhere that was full of uh pain and suffering um
0: especially in a state where those ghosts aren't allowed to heal because what what is the thing that we see before we go into the haunted police station? It's it's a bunch of housing insecure people wearing rags, cooking uh, on on the side of the road in the woods. You know, like we're we're in a situation where this a police station, which is derelict, no one's using it. It's it's not yep. it's not like someone's converting it into a Starbucks and you can make some misguided argument that it'll provide coffee for people or whatever. Like it's literally abandoned there there is no hope or no future for this building, and we have people that could go in it and live and turn it into a community center into housing into a hospital into an educational center there There is hope for this building to be cured and to be turned into something greater, but that is being denied, and that denial is rousing these spirits it's 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 rattling the gates of hell. I completely agree
1: there are certain places which should be haunted uh Again, I've talked about Richard Gilman or Palski's "Specters of Revolts" a lot, but there he has a whole kind of brilliant chapter on, on ghosts, and it's like certain places and certain locations should be haunted, and we should not trust anyone who wants to exercise or expunge those ghosts because those ghosts are those spirits; those the, that presence is a record of historic injustice.
0: Yeah yeah no and it's 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 the echo of that right like that that is in and of itself part of the haunting
1: uh i think that brings us on quite nicely to the next point that we wanted to talk about which is let's talk i love a good cult don't you
0: (laughs) i know i know this was something you're really excited to talk about so let's uh let's let's take a moment here to talk about
1: cults (laughs) um what do you yeah what do you think about about the cult we talked a little bit about the father about Baba. uh what do you think about the cult i love Baba. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i
0: think he's i think he's cool i think he's fun i think he's kind of nice um i have so so this this is this is a turkish spin on hellraiser right you've, yeah. you've, you've got people who are facing these psychosexual manifestations of their own internal crimes in in the hellraiser movie it's all about it's all about frank's uh, sexual abuse of everyone around him it's about infidelity like, like those, are the, those are the psychosexual crimes playing out in Hellraiser. And in here, it's, it's about power, it's about class, it's about empire. Those, those, are, the, those are manifesting as psychosexual tensions. And, like, in, in the Hellraiser universe, like, the, the, the Cenobites aren't bad guys. The, the Cenobites are just from another dimension, and, like, they have their own rules that they play to. Right, so you yeah. can't you can't easily uh, uh, and you know ensnare them in human morality. You have to have a much more difficult conversation when you talk about the Cenobites. and I think Baba is playing into that, right? You know, because like the way you know Baba is like mutilating and torturing Yavuz, but when he's doing it, he's like kissing Yavuz's forehead. He's like he's like okay, Yavuz, don't disappoint me. He's like he's being you know you know he's like the Mimet is the first name i think i'm pronouncing it right of the actor who plays baba again like i cannot get enough i have to see he's in another movie called killer popcorn and i'm going to go watch that later today because i absolutely <laughs> need to see more of this guy on stage but like it just knocked it out of the park and like it's this weird paternalistic fatherly kind of presence and it's ju- just like the cenobites it's kind of like asking us like okay like what's what's the, there's another layer of conversation that's going on here
1: yeah the phrase he keeps using is uh telling you to open your heart to us don't mm-hmm. disappoint me um and it's like the the kind of interesting question that i think the cenobites and this this cult ask is like what are you prepared to lose you know it, it's like are you pre- bits of bits of, what are you prepared to see kind of transformed bits of your body your notions about uh self your notions about pain and pleasure your notions about uh your identity what are you prepared to see kind of radically transformed Uh, and that kind of violent uh misogynist Mm -hmm. violent heteronormativity that violence of imperialism and policing which uh, these characters make their existential core is something that none of them are really prepared to give up or to let go of they can't open their hearts to it yeah yeah no I, yeah I think like in in many ways
0: the real you know just like just like in Hellraiser in Hellraiser the Cenobites aren't the real evil uh, uh, cult guilty of psychosexual crime it's it's kind of uh, heteronormativity is, is the evil cult guilty of sexual crimes and in and in this film, like it's not it's not Mamet or it's not Baba and like the, these kind of like Turkish cenobites, it's uh it's it's these Turkish cops. They're the ones who are guilty of of this kind of cultish evil. Mm. And what they're what just just like in Hellraiser, I mean, like again, like this movie is very clearly inspired by Hellraiser. It's it's Hellraiser and Silent Hill and a few other things that are just very strong in <laughs> yeah. this movie.
1: What if Hellraiser and Silent Hill were Set in the same place in Turkey, <laughs> right? Yeah, had had a, had a child in Turkey, and <laughs> but
0: no, like like in, in Hellraiser, like the cenobites, they are only a mirror, you know, of of our worst behaviors, and in this movie, like Baba and these other cenobite-like figures, are also just a mirror.
1: Yeah, I can I couldn't agree more, actually. Um, and it's this idea of, uh, oh this. Gives me a good question what do you think about this spider oh my god
0: i was gonna ask you this question is my like conversation trump card but here we are <laughs> so i think um okay so, so what happens is like yuvuz um he's he's blinded by baba uh they, they tie a mask around his face and then he's he's forced to have sex with this um it looks like the Copper demon from dark souls if the copper <laughs> demon was also a lady is is kind okay, of a yeah. monster he's forced to have sex with um, but um a- a- after that like like yavuz starts c- c- convulsing and then baba's by his side and baba's like hey don't disappoint me open your heart to us and then when yavuz dies the spider crawls out of his mouth and then one of one of baba's like Cenobite buddies just, just picks it up and puts it in a desk which i thought was kind of adorable i was imagining that later like that Cenobite assistant dude is gonna be like oh i got i got spider paperwork today damn it thanks yavuz <laughs> um no no but i felt like 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 so there's a lot of spiders are really rich symbolically and like i don't know um specifically like it'd be really cool to find out if there are any like turkish uh spider mythologies that that's playing off of that i just don't know about but i know that like depending on where you are in the world like like in the west we're very afraid of spiders they're symbols of fear and darkness and suspicion and mystery um and then like in some eastern cultures, spiders are symbols of good luck and good fortune and wisdom and so, like, I kind of was like combining the two in my reading, you know, yeah. like you, you've got the, the spider in a sense was like a, a savable part of Yavuz, right? It's 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 the it's because like you know what 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 is what has been uh, <laughs> um, so what has what has Baba been asking Yovoz to do? Baba has been asking Yavuz to open his eyes so that he might see. It's it's very reminiscent of Bloodborne almost. It's me two from soft games. Um, this episode, and and later we'll talk about Kingsfield um, but no um, it's very like Baba keeps asking him to open his eyes, his internal eyes, the eyes inside of him so that he can see this greater truth and mm. there, out from him crawls this spider and spiders are a, a little monster that is just covered in eyes right, like that spider it, it represents to me like that was, that was Yavuz's shot at being able to see something greater, that was his chance at luck that was his chance at like a dark and mysterious wisdom that's that's now left him. Right? If there was Ooh. something redeemable in your voice, it leaves him in that moment.
1: Well, that's really interesting. And I do kind of agree because the way that I read it is that it's a re- manifestation of the soul. Mmm, very good, yeah. Um. So yeah, I I that's that's how that's how I've always that's how I've always thought about it is that it was the manifestation of his, of his soul of his uh that you know if the body is left is is kind of broken and no longer functioning what what remains um and I think that uh the way that you've t- you've kind of put that is like yeah really compelling. I I I honestly think we're kind of on the same page here. We we think I I think we've got something that would work together.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think I think you really decided what I was trying to say, but in a much more concise way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if we have, if we do, if we do have anyone listening, uh, a Turkish listener who has got some insight, I would be super interested because one of the, I think one of the things that's really important about making sure that we t- do talk about horror from a diverse range of places is that yeah, we do get some insight into our shared cultural condition, but we also get these new kind of ways of looking at things and thinking about things, like new symbology, new new um uh icons, new like like things that we we would never kind of think of. Um I think that would be really cool if there is anyone if there is anyone out there who has who has uh who is Turkish and who's got a Turkish background and maybe understands some of the references and things that we have missed, please do let us know.
0: Like an 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 Arachnologist who dabbles in folklore would also be great. I guess <laughs> Yep. If there is,
1: if there is, if there's um, anybody with my dream job, please give us a call. <laughs> I was about to say that actually. <laughs> um. So I
0: think uh, to d- derail us from fun uh, arachnoid conversation, I think there's like, if, if I am to levy a criticism against this movie, I think it's um. Uh, we, there's some interesting conversations to have about disability in this film. Yeah. That, that I think are really important to 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 try and grapple with, right? Because when we talk about disability in, in cinema, we usually boil it down to representation. And mm. representation is problematic as, as a stand-in for the whole, right? Because what's underneath that, uh, what's underneath that is, is kind of material labor, right? You know, it's, it's not just having disabled people on screen, it's having them behind the camera, it's having them working all around the film, it's their scripts being lifted up right like like it's this it's this multivariate thing and it's also how that depiction is played out because in horror and we've talked about this a couple times in the show but like one of the worst tropes of horror that still to this day is is just going strong and shows no signs of slowing is that people who are physically disabled people who have deformities people who have mental disabilities or mental illness they're they're monsters they're demons they're beasts Um, And there are harbingers and symbols of worse things to come. And and this movie kind of gives us that because we we, we have like the classism at the beginning where where that group of poor people is like the harbinger of doom. And then Mm -hmm. once we get into hell, everyone's, you know, we've got amputees, we've got people with disabilities, um, we've got a lot of uh, disfigured people, Uh, the actor who plays Baba. Um, uh, Mehmet has a really ultra uh, according, according to what i read it was an ultra rare skin condition um that, that's his natural physical appearance um and so like like that's great like there's there's you know he's, he's getting this role but it's very reminiscent of uh Murnau's freaks in a way mm. because it's like it, it's it's kind of it's kind of riding this discursive line right because like we're still other, we're still monsters, you know, like it's not, it's not quite leveling out yet or we could just be depicted as fucking human for a change.
1: Yeah, I think that's, I think that's true. Um, I think that's, I think that's actually a really important point to talk about. Um, I know we've talked about it before, the ways in which um, uh, people with disabilities, people with mental health issues are often kind of made solely into the monster or, or or are there only to provide a kind of, um, as in Manau's freaks, and actually in a lot of contemporary horror, they're yes. only there to be like a, a jump scare or to be something that is supposed to, um, you know, uh, upset the audience. Ariaster, the, the red herring, yeah, yeah. I, I think Ariaster is 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 a, a big culprit on this score. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, as you say, um, Mehmet, the actor they found. Um, you know it's his, it's his natural appearance. he's an incredibly charismatic performer um, and I think this is a positive step, but I, I I completely agree that there's like actually still more work to do and more more of a kind of conversation to have about that intersection of like uh disability and horror specifically. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not really, I'm I'm not coming down on it
0: on, on one side or another uh, of whether or not this is ableist, because I think it's both, you know, because we've also, we we could also do like this reading uh, a la Mark Stephen Splatter Capital, where like, you know, it is, it, this is almost in a way uh, a kind of like revenge movie, in a sense, because it is these people from like this really impoverished class, it is these people with disabilities who are striking out and getting revenge on a system that would otherwise oppress them yeah so i think i think like this is one of my favorite places to be in kind of art criticism where it's not it's not easy to write this off on as one side or the other right because it's simultaneously both right you know it's it's they're phasing in and out of each other and both readings have successful elements to them I think Baskin is posing us with some really challenging questions that are very difficult to grapple with,
1: yeah, absolutely and 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 important questions, right? It's important to that's a productive ambivalence, that's a productive tension that will hopefully lead to uh better, more interesting horror films and better, more interesting roles for actors and performers with disabilities. Yeah, no,
0: totally agree. <laughs> um, so, yeah. uh, you got you got any thoughts on those frogs? I did spiders. You do frogs.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's there's a lot of frogs in this. Um, you know, if we if we think that the horror cinema of a, of a particular c- a country can help provide some insight into how different regions of the world associate like animals or symbols and that kind of thing as you said in a lot of asian countries spiders are symbols of good luck um i i don't really know what 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 the kind of turkish opinion of frogs are (laughs) um there are a lot of frogs in this film um very often like very filmed in like really tight close-up there's like heaps of these uh, amphibian bodies um it's been a while since we did the episode on uh, hell comes to frog down let's have some more frog discourse i genuinely don't know what to make of them in this film
0: ribbit ribbit motherfuckers all i'm gonna say is i coined the phrase a I want this out there. I want this out there before some other motherfucker tries to jump on it. <laughs> 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 or maybe I didn't. Maybe there's someone else who did it before me, in which case, uh, please let me know so I can cite your brilliance. <laughs> well, but
1: there are a couple of, like, things, uh, parallels that the film brings up, right? So um, frogs, uh, fr- the way that frogs are filmed and the way that the cult members are filmed, there are some parallels, right? Lots yes. of writhing bodies, lots of tight close-ups. Uh, frog sexual reproduction practices are often seen as kind of abject and and strange and other and the sex rituals of the cult are seen as uh depraved and horrifying um so there's there's clearly some parallels being drawn
0: yes and and this is this is the thing i want to bring up about frogs (laughs) here's the thing about frogs um we we use frogs as synecdoche for disgust a lot. Right, frogs are frogs like like the, and there's even a lot of cultural mythology around it like frogs don't cause warts. That's a myth, right? You you can safely handle the frog. You have other health concerns potentially, but warts are not amongst them, right? Like frogs are they're just amphibians. They're just they're just an animal out in nature doing animal things. They're no more or less disgusting than your pet cat right uh but the frogs in this movie are used as symbols of just abject terror right they're they're used as stand-ins and as as direct linkages to like oh look how far these people have fallen they're like frogs when in fact if we were more metaphorically and symbolically linked in to like a frog state of being we'd be better hashtag frog mindset but like And what what I mean by that is, like, frogs frogs live to their fullest frog potential when they're out in the pond and being happy. They're not shackled and burdened by patriarchy and capitalism and the settler colonial state. Right? And, like, when Uh, we use the natural world as a symbol for abject suffering, we're often more or less telling on ourselves. And that's what kind of strikes me when I see the frogs in this movie. Because they don't make the people look more horrifying. They make our society's treatment of nature look more
1: horrifying the fact i love this i love this Um, (laughs) i am delighted to announce that um 666 rules for life the horror vanguard uh, antidote to chaos will be coming out next year Uh, and instead of considering the lobsters we will have uh, huge chapters dedicated solely (laughs) to the frog to to the frog (laughs) mindset uh, and how we should model ourselves on the frog (laughs) i mean come on now, that, oh, now that now that now that now that jordan peterson is is uh dying of his all meat diet somewhere in eastern europe I, I isn't it right that we get in on this i mean his own daughter disappeared him so we can talk about frogs now <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah less labs less lobsters more frog mindset yeah lo- lobsters lobsters were so 2019 this is 2020 <laughs> we're, we're hippity-hopping into a better future
1: <laughs> yes i'm here for it i'm 100 yeah, like, here for it i
0: mean like i i really i really think that when i when i see frogs in horror movies i think of our relationship to nature right because we frog like frogs like spiders like snakes like rats these are these are animals that we have have assigned negative cultural value to um specifically in you know like american and european culture um but in reality they're just natural animals you know like they may pose some risks in certain settings po- there are poisonous frogs <laughs> don't don't, yeah, yeah. don't eat them <laughs> but, but like you know by by and large they're just they're just in swamps eating bugs or whatever like not not an issue not a threat not a negative impact to our world and and our are our, our signing on them these, these horrifying like the frogs in this movie are adjacent to mutilated hell orgies Right, and there, there's something so striking about the fact that we would just take like, and these aren't like cursed frogs, right? It's not like these frogs like explode or they've got like glowing eyes or they're, they're somehow imbued with hell. Right, they're just, it's just a bucket of frogs and there's something about that that's just like that almost childish parallel that's being drawn like, ooh, spooky frogs. Uh, uh, now let's go have a man who's a corpse wearing a trash bag beat you to death with a mallet. <laughs> like It feels like like the bucket of frogs things feels like it's right out of Worst Witch or something, some like
1: children's movie made for the BBC. Yeah, I I actually agree with you there, um, and and I and I think you know you're right that this they are definitely an animal which has been uh, given associations to it rather than having those as being anything that's innate to them. Uh, I I am just so here for Frog Mindset twenty twenty. <laughs> Hashtag Frog Mindset. <laughs> it's
0: the best and worst thing I've ever created. Thank you. <laughs> um. um I, yeah. I well. Last, here we are. <laughs> the last
1: thing. The last. The last thing that we should probably talk about is we should talk about the ending. Uh, yeah. What did, you, what did you think of that? Well. Uh, uh, the youngest officer manages to escape, Uh, Arda, I think he's called, uh, ends up killing Baba, ends up killing the father. And what precipitates things in the film is they're they're driving across a bridge and the van hits something. Uh, And the van crashes and all of them have to kind of go into this abandoned police station. That's how things start. Arda is running down the road and sees the lights of a van coming towards him. Um. And there's a there's there's an impact, and that's how things end. What do you think?
0: So, just a quick question uh, uh, for you, John. Uh, In the initial scene where they swerve out of the road, what creature uh, uh, precipitates the the potential accident, or is at least depicted near the events?
1: Uh, It is the hippity hoppity comrades. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> it's a frog so so again like like for for me we've got like he's being replaced by a frog later like he's he's replacing a frog you know like like and i think there's a lot of like unintentional commentary on our relationship with nature that's going on in these horror movies i'm shaking my finger right now like an upset dad (laughs) (laughs)
1: this these horror movies the saying stuff
0: (laughs) but i think i think the ending for me there's one line in the movie that sums up the ending and it's when baba says that hell is not a place you go to hell is something you carry with you right like our our characters are stuck in a time loop you know we constantly see them Being horrifically attacked and then being back in the cafe and they're they're cycling through this and and they're forever stuck in this cycle of events you know it's it's because it's something that they've carried with them this whole time you know it's not it's not something they've driven into it's not it's not like a a star trek episode where they trip into a subspace anomaly that causes temporal mechanics issues like this is this is inherent to the condition of their lives and the actions and courses they've taken they have to go through this
1: yeah and i think it's it's actually to kind of build on that there's an optimistic ending right you could read this as an optimistic ending which is that because the van is empty at the end mm-hmm. um so it's like maybe maybe the, the the transformations the bodily transformations that the cult worked upon them were effective maybe they're no longer in hell maybe hell is not something that they're carrying with them anymore because now Their existence is on a kind of another plane, you know. Maybe that's the the optimistic, even slightly happier ending of the film, is that hell hell might be something that you carry with you, but you can stop carrying it.
0: I think I think there's something there's something really compelling about that, you know, because when we to to forego for a second that our protagonists are cops, like when we work through our trauma. You know, when, when, we, when we've gone through hell in our lives and we start to carry that with us, a lot of the things that we learn to adapt to deal with trauma become very negative once we've kind of left the immediacy of those traumatic situations. You know, those, those, those skills that we learn to adapt and survive horrible circumstances then in and of themselves become horrible when we leave those circumstances. And moving through that and unpacking that and like dealing with all of this internal damage is is a lot like what our characters go through in process right it's it's a yeah. painful, uncomfortable often like internally disgusting thing that you have to go through so i think i yeah. think your reading uh, it has a lot of weight to it
1: you know but they're not there anymore mm-hmm. you know they 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 may not exist in the same way that uh that they did, or they may have undergone a deeply painful traumatic Physical transformation in some way, um, but that uh, uh, you can say, you could you can read the ending as just a kind of a loop. They're still there, right? They still all got thrown out of the van when it crashed. Like they're still always going to stumble into that building, to be uh, tortured and uh, blinded and used by this cult. Or you can see it as a, a potentially more positive ending. I I like that positive read. <laughs> uh, so, even cops can find a degree of salvation. It seems uh, that, would, that would be, I guess, like a. Is it, so, are you
0: then arguing that Baskin is like restorative justice? Uh, the horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: it is uh, amphibian cult justice <laughs> for cult justice. for the for the nightmare existential state that is. Violent hetero patriarchy expressed in the imperialism of policing. That that should have been the tagline for the movie. That should have been on the poster. <laughs> yeah, somewhat wordy, somewhat wordy. I don't know how well that would translate into Turkish, but <laughs> <laughs>
0: let us know. Uh, uh, you know, tweet tweet at us if you can can speak Turkish.
1: <laughs> um, but this this was a lot of fun. It was. It, I think it was really good and valuable that we've started to kind of uh try and branch out a little bit out of European horror to do some more uh cinema from various parts of the world. Um and baskin was great. It was a, so good. So a refreshing short, short, nasty shock to the system. It's it's this is
0: this is like a horror movie aperitif, right? Like this is it's just so quick and light and refreshing, but there's so much to discuss in it. There's just enough complexity. It's fantastic. I've been watching a lot of Top Chef. My descriptive vocabulary right now is very culinary.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this was this was a uh... yeah. It was it was it's a good. a true feast.
0: Thanks for tuning in. Remember, stay spooky. <laughs>